Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask you for your blessings upon our life. We ask that you would help us as we study your word tonight. Guide and direct each part of our service. Be with those that are still on their way. And Lord, let us rejoice in your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seen outline. Wave your hand. I think Peter might have a few. And if he runs out, he'll get some more. But uh, Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. And uh, tonight uh, we're going to slow down just a little bit and uh, just look at a few verses here. And verse 1 of chapter 8, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices, and thunderings, and lightnings, and an earthquake. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Now, as we notice here, we've been working our way through uh, chapter uh, 6. We had the first six seals given to us. Uh, right in order, and then we got to chapter 7, and uh, we called this the first pause in the book uh, of Revelation, and the reason why we call that is down to uh, uh, verses 1 and 2. We have uh, four angels holding the four winds that nothing is moving anywhere on the earth, and another angel comes from the east, and he says, wait a minute. No, don't do anything. You have power to hurt. It says here they were given power to hurt the earth and the sea. And they're not allowed to do anything until they've sealed the servants of God in the foreheads. And then there's given two separate groups here. The 144,000 Jewish men, if we understand correctly, from chapter uh, 11... And then there's a mixed multitude of all nations, of all kindreds, of all languages. And these are described as having come through the tribulation, out of great tribulation, verse 14. And then the seventh seal is broken. And all of a sudden we hear about seven trumpets. Now the simplest way, I believe, and the most consistent way to understand the book of Revelation is in order. As this seventh seal is broken, the contents, if you would, or the, uh, the way that this seventh seal is played out is the seven trumpets. And when that seventh trumpet gets to sound, the last three trumpets are three woes, the Bible tells us. We are then going to see another 
seven vials is our word in the King James uh, that the King James uses. And uh, if you read any commentaries, it'll talk about the seven bowl judgments. A, a vial is just simply a pot. It is something that holds. And God's wrath is going to be held in these last seven vials, and they're going to be poured out. Uh, the illustration that I've tried to give, it works well in my mind. I don't know if I've transferred it to yours. Is that of the blacksmith with the tip hammer. As it's called, that's a style of hammering as he begins to mold the shape, the hot metal, he'll hit slow and hard and begin to hit faster and harder as the metal cools, trying to shape that metal. Uh, another illustration I, I just thought of is how many of you have ever seen the big fireworks and it goes up and it shoots into this great big, huge uh, spray, and all of a sudden, you see it shooting up into an even bigger one. And you see it shooting up into an even bigger one. That That is the picture of God's judgment here, and, and it's going to come in a much more rapid succession as far as we understand. And uh, But before we get there, we're going to set the context. Because I think... Uh, there, there are some things that you and I need to understand and some background. And, of course, if you've been around here very long, uh, we're going to be tying in literally your Bible from cover to cover tonight in certain things that God is explaining to us. And, and we come down here to uh, verse 1. It says, There was silence in heaven for the space of a half an hour. Now, the word about there is used, so God does not have a stopwatch ticking. Uh, John uh, didn't have such a thing, but uh, he, he's trying to plan the time there. Now, let's remember what has just happened on earth. When the sixth seal was opened, there was a great earthquake, the Bible tells us. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became as blood. The stars of heaven fell unto the earth. It says, The heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And every inhabitant on the earth was in great fear of Almighty God. Now, some people have said, if the sky really rolled back as a scroll, there, there'd be no atmosphere left on earth and everybody would die and all of this. But how many of you have ever been uh, actually in a hurricane or a tornado? Anybody been around those things? I mean, it just, I remember in Springfield, Missouri, it was my senior year, we had two tornadoes come through the town and uh, it was just absolutely the hand of God that kept thousands of people from being killed. Um, the one tornado came east to west. It destroyed a church building and lots of other different things and damaged hundreds of homes and came right up to St. John's Hospital. Went up in the air over top of the hospital and came down on the other side. Those things are just God's mercy. But I will tell you, before that tornado hit, 
It looked like somebody had literally taken the sky away. Everything just turned this weird green. Nothing was moving. You could not, you couldn't feel a breath of air, and then all of a sudden, it hit. And uh, it was just absolutely breathtaking and terrifying and all of those things uh, to be that close uh, to those things. No, I've never seen the funnel cloud. I was in the shelter. Uh, uh, When I saw that happen, I said, something's going on. It wasn't very long. I started heading toward the shelter on the campus of the college. No sooner I got to the door than the sirens went off and the the tornado went right over top of the school. And and so uh, as we see these things we may even find a correlation of some of the things that happen as the trumpets actually begin to sound between the earthquake here, but the earthquake is over. The angels are holding the four winds. Nothing is moving. There is silence even in heaven. It is as if The entire creation was holding its breath. That is one of the reasons why most of us believe that this is coming at the middle point of the tribulation. Jesus talks about the time of great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, He talks about, in the book of Daniel, it's divided up into two sections. And and believe it or not, we'll be going back there and picking up those verses in in weeks to come. I'm not sure exactly when right now. I I want us to keep moving through to uh, pick up these things in the book of Revelation. But we've seen that this is, as far as we can understand, and we're not being dogmatic, that... When that sixth seal is broken, the earthquake happens, everything stops. Just kind of seems we're at the middle point and things are going to shift into high gear. It's going to go from tribulation to great tribulation. It's interesting that as all of this is going on, there's no praise. The theme of everything that we've had, Genesis 4, when the, when the window of heaven, the door in the heavens was open, John was called up, what was the first thing he saw? He saw the throne of God and those around it giving him praise and worship. Chapter 5, what was it about? It was about setting the stage for special praise and, and the utmost praise we might be saying, given to the Lamb who was slain that was able to take the book out of his hand. We get into chapter 7 where this break is, the pause, and we see these 144,000 that join in the praise and this multitude that no man can number. And by the way, if the church is still on earth, why is God making a big deal of all these different groups? This is one of the reasons why we believe the church is gone. is because he is different. Um, he's making a difference. Uh, it's been a long day. He's making a difference between the 20 and 4 elders 
which as far as we can understand represent the Old Testament saints, 12 tribes of Israel, New Testament saints, Saints, 12 apostles of the Lamb. We have this special 144,000, the first fruits of Israel being brought back to God. And then the mixed multitude of those that have come through the tribulation. The only problem is, time-wise, as far as we can understand right here, we're halfway through. So God is taking a moment here. And he's let us see that he is taking care of his saints even in the midst of all of these things that are about to happen. God wants people to be saved. That's, that's what it's about. I mean, 144,000 Jewish men getting saved. That is an amazing thought, is it not? And then a multitude that no man can number. I, I, just, I just love that. Right now we have about 7 billion people on the face of the earth. Can you imagine? 7 billion is the best that they can count. And by the way, I started doing a little research during the day today on when it talks about a third of the green grass and a third of the trees and a third of the seas. I found out that scientists are still arguing about the size of the earth and how many square miles are land and, and they don't agree with each other. Now, I would think we'd be able to measure this planet if we can send a probe to one of the moons on Saturn. Now, wouldn't you? And yet they're still arguing about how big this place is. It just shows you how little we know and how much God knows and is doing. Don't ever take your eyes off the Lord. But it is amazing at this point, God stops the praise. It's quiet. Because what's about to happen is the unmitigated wrath of Almighty God is about to be poured out. The seven vile judgments literally poured out upon the earth. And as this moment of silence is there and John is just standing, uh, my children can give testimony to this fact. How many of you have ever stood still for one minute? That was about 10 seconds. Seemed like a long time now, didn't it? You stand absolutely still, silence. For, it, it's going to seem like a small eternity. Everything is going to be still. And when that stillness is over, look at verse 2. It says, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. The, how many seals were around the book when the Lamb took it out of the hand of him that sits upon the throne? There were seven seals, were there not? 
The seventh seal has been opened. Now the trumpeters are, if we would just use the picture, the picturesque language in our Bible, they are going to trumpet forth the judgment of God. Very similar to what the prophets did in the old time. When we hear the word prophet and prophesy and all of that, our first thought is thinking about things that are going to happen in the future that God is revealing to us. But I want to remind you that that was only part of the job of the prophet. The other part, we, we get all wrapped up in foretelling of future events. I like to put it, the, the prophet also had the duty to foretell God's message. He was to lift up his voice as a trumpet. Read the book of Isaiah. He was supposed to let Israel know that they were to turn from their sins. Now, one person, commentator, put it this way. Did the plagues in Egypt make Pharaoh repent? No, they didn't. In fact, you read through there, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then God hardened it a little more, and Pharaoh hardened it a little more until the point to where, does it make any sense that Pharaoh should have driven his army into the Red Sea with a wall of water on both sides? Who in their right mind would do such a thing, especially after fighting a pillar of darkness all night long. And then it says that God sent angels down. I just love the picture here and knocked the chariot wheels off. And they drave them heavily, the Bible says. They were still pursuing, even though the wheels were off their chariots. They had at this time lost their entire sense and sensibility, they were what we would call mad. Not anger-wise, but they had lost all sense of sanity. Until they saw the wall of water start moving down. But by then it was too late. God is showing his judgment. When it was all said and done, what happened because of the judgments on Egypt? God's people sang praises to God, now didn't they? 430 years of slavery. God kind of evened things out, didn't he? God is going to hold this generation that these things are spoken about. When these things begin to happen, God is going to hold this generation accountable for all sin in all history. His wrath is going to be poured out. And again, we need to remember something. And, and pray, I want to preach a sermon on this uh, at, uh, either the Sunday before or on Easter about the cup. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus drank from that cup. He took God's judgment for you and I. If you don't let him drink for you, you are going to drink that cup. And that's what's happening here. Even in God's judgment, there is mercy. Why is God's judgment so severe? That's a question people just love to ask, to criticize the Bible. But let me tell you something. If God stopped for Rahab before the city of Jericho was destroyed, if God allowed the inhabitants of Gibeon, one of the major cities of the land of Canaan, to find service in the house of God. In fact, we get to the point hundreds of years later where they're returned from the land and one of the things that Ezra the scribe is doing is he's reckoning the servants of the temple. Guess who those servants were? They were the descendants of the Gibeonites. And they said, we can't really get into the, we can't perform our duties in the temple as we ought to because we don't have enough Gibeonites to do the work they're supposed to do so that the Levites can do their work that they're supposed to do so the priests can do the work they're supposed to do. How in the world did God take those wicked Canaanites that he'd said, make no peace treaties with them, destroy them all, and they were even more important in their service than most of the Jewish people. I want you to remember something. God is interested in saving souls. He's willing to save anyone. But if you want to reject him, let me tell you something. God's not playing games, my friend. We've already, if we'll go back to this, uh, the fourth seal, it says, And unto them was given a fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. Divide seven billion by four. That's like one and three quarters, something along that. Could you imagine one and three quarters billion people dying? If we understand this correct, in three and a half years. And this is called the quiet period of the tribulation by some commentators. This is called the peaceful part. This is tribulation, but great tribulation is about to begin. And so, as this moment of silence is finished, there are seven angels. The book is now open. The contents of that book are going to literally be blasted throughout the earth. God's word is still doing its work. And there will be people. We look back to this foreshadowing, this 
pause that God has focused in on this 144,000 men of Israel, 12,000 of each tribe, and a multitude of all kindreds and languages and nations that no man could number. Even in this judgment, God is still saving souls. But then we come to one of the most interesting parts of the whole book of Revelation to me personally. I just, this is just one of those passages that I love because what it does is as God is foretelling future events, he's going to make a connection here that will go all the way back to the book of Exodus and even before. It literally goes from cover to cover. God is going to show us something. But before that, we're just going to walk through the events here. It says another angel. We have seven angels standing before the throne of God. They're given seven trumpets. And another angel came, not one of those, and stood at the altar. Now remember, this altar is before the throne of God. Under the altar are the souls of them that have lost their lives for the testimony of Christ during the tribulation period, who have cried out to God to make things right, to avenge their death. And there is nothing wrong with praying for justice, my friend. Don't pray for fairness. We went through that. Fairness is, if you break a leg, we'll just break everybody's leg. That's fair, right? Isn't it? That's why I don't like fairness. Because you can't be fair. It's not possible. I like justice. The Bible word is equity. I I love those words. I wish we could get some judges and politicians that believed in justice and equity instead of fairness. Uh, Life would be a lot simpler for the rest of us. But... The scripture's got to be fulfilled. And we're going to see these things happen. He is given, he has a golden censer. Now, in that golden censer are burning coals. He then is given unto him much incense, and look what it says here, that he should offer it with the prayers of most saints, of tribulation saints. Uh, of Old Testament saints, or E, all of the above. All saints. By the way, somebody asked me the other day, how do you become a saint in the Bible? I said, that's real easy. You get saved, amen? That's all you have to do. Uh, I don't go around calling myself Saint Peter because people get the wrong idea. Uh, But if you're saved tonight, you are a biblical saint. And guess what? You didn't even have to go through the beatification process. Amen. That's a good thing because you got to die first. And uh, God wants us to serve him as saints. Amen. But he's going to take the prayers. This angel is taking the prayers of all saints... And he's going to put them upon this golden altar. He puts the coals upon the altar. He puts the incense upon those coals, those smoldering, burning embers. And uh, by the way, it's not 
the best way to describe this was would be more like a charcoal fire. Uh, how many of you have ever had a campfire where you had a pretty good size piece of wood and you put it on there and you get some flames and then you go back a couple hours later and poke that big log and it falls apart and the heat just goes right up in your face. Anybody ever have that happen? You got to be careful. But that's what he's using is that very, very hot, smoldering embers. And by the way, if you're ever camping, never, never leave a fire until you've poured buckets of water on it because that wood down in there can burn for hours and set the whole place on fire. Be careful. But it was these embers that were in there and he poured this incense upon those smoldering embers and all of a sudden the incense begins to burn and to melt under the intense heat. And it says, The smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Meaning that the angel was the one that put the uh, coals upon the altar and the incense upon the coals. It was his handiwork. It was the work of his hands that made that happen. And you can just see this great cloud of smoke rising up and obscuring the throne. And what is in that smoke? The prayers of all saints. And then, verse 5, the angel took a censer he took the censer that he had put all of this on the altar with and he shoveled it into that mass of burning uh, incense and he throws it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Now, it's interesting. What always happens after a huge earthquake? Aftershocks, sometimes for months, if it's a really terrible earthquake, the earth is still moving and shuddering and trying to get in. And here we have this great earthquake, seal number six, seal number seven, things are getting ready to happen. The angel throws those uh those embers and the incense, the, the mixture there as it's smoldering into the earth. You ever wonder what the picture is there? Well, if the incense is the prayers of the saints, what did some of those saints pray for? Go back to seal number five, chapter six, verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood upon them that dwell on the earth? Why was he casting that into the... Because some of the answer was going to come on earth. And, and he was picturing that those that prayer was going in that direction and God was going to answer it down there. God's judgment is coming. 
And as this happens, angel number one begins to lift his trumpet to blow. How many have ever seen a performance of a major symphony? You're there in the hall, and usually the hall is very well built acoustically, and you can hear every cough and hack and whisper in the whole place. And I mean, the place is just going, (coughs) oh, I just ate that. And then the conductor steps up to the podium. Everything gets silent. And he raises his baton. And whoever's supposed to play the first note, you'll see the trumpets going up to the lips. You'll see the the violin bows poised upon the strings. The drummers in the timpani and all of those things will be right there ready to go. And then he brings down the wand and boom, the place is flooded. And you don't hear anything because the music floods it all out. That's what's getting ready to happen. Now, I want us to take a moment here and didn't plan on spending this much time on this, so we're going to have to hurry through the last part here. But I want us to go to Exodus chapter 25. And this is part of what we do as we study the Scriptures. Is we have to understand that God has a reason for putting things in the Bible that He puts there. If you've been reading your Bible schedule, and by the way, if things get busy and you get a little behind, try to catch up. If you can't catch up, just start today and keep moving forward. Don't, don't waste time never getting caught up. Just put the past behind you and start today and keep moving. Now, it's important, but if you've been reading, you just read all of these passages. Now, the building of the tabernacle, let me tell you, is exciting reading. Amen? Why am I getting so many laughs? Because it's not that exciting, is it? I mean, I I like reading a part about the great offering where they finally had to tell everybody, Stop giving! We got too much! I'm looking forward to that day. Sometime. I don't know if it'll ever happen. But you know what? God's got a need and a plan for everything He gives us. He doesn't give us too much. He doesn't give us too little. And so when it comes in, guess where it goes? Wherever it needs to. But look at verse, I'm sorry, uh, Exodus 25. And we're going to look at, uh, oh, I'm in chapter 23. There we go. Verse 9. Let's read verse 8 as well. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof. Even so shall ye make it. Now, how many of you ladies have ever made a dress? 
actually sewed, cut out the material and all of that. What you have to have is a pattern. You take the pattern, which is a very thin paper, and it tears real easy if you're not careful. And you've got to pin it out very carefully and snip, 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 snip. Why? Because you want the dress, when it's finished, to look like the picture on the package. Now, what gets real fun is if the pattern's for one size and you're trying to make another. Oh, my. You wonder why they teach trigonometry in school? Because you need it. If you're going to enlarge a pattern, it doesn't happen by accident. You've got to be a mathematical genius. That's why most patterns come with several different sizes so that you can cut it down. But if somebody's been there first and they made a smaller size or a larger size, well, larger you can cut the pattern down, but if they made small, smaller size than you need, you can't put it back on. It's going to be tough. What was the pattern that God showed Moses? How did Moses know what he was supposed to do? Well, the Bible answers that question. If you go with me to Hebrews chapter 9, and uh, if you were here for our study through Hebrews, uh, my affectionate name for this book is God's Switchboard. It's where all the connections throughout the entire Bible were made. Hebrews chapter 9. Let's look at verse 9 again which was a figure for the time then present, talking about the old tabernacle. Let's go to verse 1, pick this up. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. We come down to verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present, which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. The works that were done in the Old Testament tabernacle did not take away sin. The Old Testament name, term, was atonement. The word atone means to roll back. The New Testament word is redemption, is propitiation, is the purchase price paid, is the redeeming, the buying back of God's people, and we come down here to verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into where? Heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Where was Zechariah? the father of John the Baptist, what was he doing when the angel appeared to him and told him, your prayers have been answered? He was offering incense on the golden altar in the temple in Jerusalem. See, we go the whole way to the book of Revelation and we find out that the incense on the golden altar is a picture of our prayers. If we didn't have the book of Revelation... We could surmise that 
but we wouldn't know it of a surety. God is letting us see. And if you've been around here, we, I've done a lot of teaching at my tabernacle. is about my most favorite thing to teach on in the Bible. It's a complete picture of our relationship with God. So the golden altar is the altar of incense. Why were the saints from the tribulation period under that altar? Because God hadn't answered their prayers yet. He was going to. And we're going to see the beginning of the answer of those prayers. But he said, you guys are going to have to wait until the rest of your brethren are added to your number. And we have that complete multitude with palms in their hands joining in the praise that's going to be at the end of the tribulation period. So the golden altar is prayer. Who is the angel? Well, as we studied the word angel in the book of Revelation, refers to different groups of people. When we get to the end of the book of Revelation... John says, I fell down to worship the angel which showed me these things. And what was the angel's response? He said, I'm of your brethren, of the prophets. So the word angel refers to prophets. Unto the angel of the church. It refers to pastors of those churches. Here, I believe it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Hebrews chapter 7 tells us that it is Jesus who ever liveth to make intercession for us. Jesus commanded his disciples how are we supposed to pray. We're not to pray to some person. We're not to pray to anyone but God the Father in Jesus' name. So who... They give him much incense, but they don't give him the prayers because he's the one that owns the prayers. Somebody said, well, this was an angel that was just given this job. But later on in the book of Revelation, we're going to see another angel. He's going to have a rainbow on his head. He's going to have a face as the sun shineth. He's going to have feet as polished brass. Uh, I think that's talking about Jesus again because that description fits him. He is a messenger. Only this time, instead of him bringing the message from God to us, which he did when he lived here on earth for those 33 and a half years, he is now taking our prayers to God. When you pray in Jesus' name, what you're doing is you're saying, Jesus, if you were praying... This is what you would pray for. Now, I wonder how many of those envelopes of prayer, if we could picture it that way, does Jesus have to go, Oh, no, here it go again. <laughs> because it's not in his name, even though it's signed and sealed that way, it's an offense to him. You see, we look in uh, Revelation chapter 4, and it tells us, that those elders that were gathered around the throne had vials full of odors. And when we think of the word odor, we think of something that stinks. No, they had containers of incense. 
I wonder if God is going to give you your prayer life to re-offer in heaven. He told Cornelius, he said, Thy prayers and thine alms have come up for a memorial before God. That was the word that the priest used when he would offer of the things that were brought. If you had your uh, wheat crop, you were to bring a tithe of that, and he was to, uh, the priest was to take the memorial of it and offer it on the brazen altar. The rest of it was for food for the priest. That meant he would reach in and just grab a little reminder. What if God chose to take a little reminder of your prayers? Would it be gone before the smoke would arise and thrill the nostrils and the senses of God because there wasn't enough of it there to do anything with? This is the picture that is being painted. This is why God wants us to read the book of Revelation because there is application for you and I as we live today. And every time I go through these things, I get convicted because my prayer life, I'm a preacher. But I want it to be better than it is. How about you? We spent about 12 weeks several years ago on the art of the apothecary on putting your prayers together so that they would be pleasing unto God. We talk about talking directly to God. How many of you have ever had your big chance? I mean, you were interviewed with the person you always just dreamed about getting a job for. And you, and you bombed it. When we pray, we're talking to God. I'm glad he's forgiving. I'm glad he's patient. I'm also glad he refuses to accept that which is not pleasing to him. He's not going to lower his standard to meet you. He's going to wait until you get enough of the word of God in you to raise it to the level of his standards of acceptance. That's my God. That's the God of the Bible. The angel is Jesus. The prayers are the prayers of all saints. The prayers of those tribulation saints who have died for the cause of Jesus Christ. God wants to hear prayer. Now, we've tried on Sunday night to change our prayer list some, so it's not so long that all you do is read a list of names to get through the prayer list in enough time. But... We've still got a lot of names on that prayer list. We need to pray. God wants us to pray. God has quelled the worship. He stopped the choir. No one is uttering a sound. 
How is he receiving his worship? Through the incense that is rising from that altar. God's telling us that those prayers are just as important as the shouting and the praising. We live in a very reactionary world. We have one group of people that call themselves Christians. All they do is jump up and down and you holler and scream. And we got another group. You wouldn't be able to tell whether they loved God or not, no matter what they did, because they're always... We ought to get excited, amen? We ought to praise God. We ought to lift up our voices to the God of heaven. But let me tell you something. Your prayer also ought to have some content more than Jesus, 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 Jesus. It ought, it ought to say something. It ought to be reflective of the work that God's word has done in your heart, not somebody else's. That's what God wants in our prayers. Let me tell you something. God's going to answer the prayers of those saints that lost their lives. He's going to make things right. God never called upon the church to settle all social justice and injustice. That's not the job of the church. That's God's job. The job of the church is to challenge you to give a worship that is acceptable to a holy God. In your praise, that's why we sing the hymns. Boy, if you can't get excited about some of those hymns we sung tonight, your exciter's done busted, amen? God will fix it. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. How do we get that? Through the forgiveness of our sins, through an understanding of who God is. And I could go on till 10 o'clock and I'm not going to. But if you get any two things out of the sermon tonight, number one, God wants saved souls. But he also wants to hear our prayers. He wants them to be acceptable. He wants them to be worthy of the offerer who is Jesus Christ, worthy of the recipient, who is God the Father. And don't forget the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8, also intercedes with, for us with words, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Don't you try to do what God has reserved for the Holy Spirit. That belongs to Him alone. I've, had, I've heard people say, well, I'm, I'm groaning with groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, wait a minute. If they cannot be uttered, it means you can't make them. Oh, well, I'm not. The Holy Spirit's making them. In, well, then why am I hearing them? You're the one making the noise. Your job is to make a noise that is acceptable unto God. The Holy Spirit, I think, often has to do quite a bit of translating. He's going to redact. Maybe when your prayer gets to heaven, it's going to be full of black lines. Well, we got in Jesus' name, amen, out of that one. I hope that's not true of you. But sometimes that's true of all of us because we don't know how to pray as we should. That's why we got to surrender our hearts and worship to God. And remember, when you sing those songs, you're singing them to the Lord. Lift up your voice. 
When you're praying, you're talking to God. He wants to hear about the littlest thing that troubles your heart. But he's not your servant. He's not there to make you feel better. He's there because he is God. And what he wants is the best for everyone. And so it's our job to use this tool of prayer to get ourselves and our desires and our thoughts out of the way so that when we actually pray, we're praying for the things that God wants us to pray for. Amen? It takes a little bit of work. You're not going to just sit down and say your prayers if that's the way you're going to pray. If you were going to speak to the President of the United States, you ought to sit down and think about what you're going to say before you get there. Because if you don't, it's going to be... You're going to make a mess of it. You just will. How come we're so comfortable with just blabbing on and on to God about nothing? It's because we're not respecting Him the way we should. That's what this passage is all about. It's to let us see how serious the God of heaven is about our prayers. He takes this moment, as far as we know, since creation, the only moment where all the universe was absolutely silent. And at that moment, he chooses to receive the incense of the prayers of all saints. That ought to tell you just a little bit about how important God thinks your prayers are. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that as we look in the mirror of your word tonight, we would not be forgetful. Lord, that we would be careful about our prayers. We would not let ourselves pray to you while we're falling asleep or while we're waking up, but we would make specific effort for our prayers to be what they ought to be about you. And Lord, when the burdens of this life just seem to overwhelm us, that we would carry every care to you, but we would not pray in a way that would dishonor you for your greatness and your goodness and your desire to hear our prayers. Lord, we thank you for this little window that you've placed in this, what we might think a strange place in the history of all time, to explain this to us. But Lord, we ask that we would learn, that we would get a hold of this, that we may understand and know that you want to save souls and you want to hear the prayers of those you have saved. Please, Lord, work during this time of invitation and in our lives as we live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll keep our heads bowed. If you need to just slip out of your seat and spend some time at an old-fashioned altar, the altar is open.